Good morning. Hi. Hi. Wow. Um, I was just talking to Kat, actually, and was like, should we go back into worship again? <laughs> um, we'll see what God does. I think it's amazing. Cool. So, we, you've joined us this morning as part of our series into um, Colossians, looking at Colossians, del- delving, diving into the, the, the kind of the, the meaning and unpacking what Paul is saying in the letter that he wrote to the church in Colossae. Um, this is part eight, and if you definitely go back and listen to the last few talks in this series, and especially last week's where Kat absolutely nailed it. So I have no pressure coming up here this morning. It's all good following that, but yeah, it's all good. But what, I've, um, what I love about, and actually I feel like when we were, the verses, um, Chris, Nick, and Kat and I were kind of talking about this, this series and this book, and... Um, and Chris basically kind of um, got all the verses and divvied them out between us for different talks and different times. And I've landed another exciting doozy today. Um, and I got really excited. I was reading this the last time. Supremacy of Christ. Yes. So I'm going to read this to you this morning. And it follows on exactly from what Jonathan came up and said and what praying over freedom and what that looks like for us this morning. So I'm just going to read. So this is from Colossians 2. Um, verse 11, it's one of the letters in the New Testament. And it says, In him, that's Jesus, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins and having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a spectacle of them, triumphing over them. What a word that is, triumphing over them by the cross. How exciting is that? So what's Paul saying here? And for me, it's quite simply this. There is nothing for you to prove, as Jesus has done it all. Everything is forgiven. You don't need to carry your sins. Death shouldn't cause you to fear. There is no way for you to earn more of his love or earn greater access. Everything he has done allows you to have everything you need. You can't earn any more. You have no case to answer and nothing to prove to anyone else. You can live in freedom. That's pretty exciting, I think. We were getting excited about it earlier when we were singing about it, but yeah. (laughs) So let me unpack that a little more. And um, to do that, I'm just going to switch the verses around a little bit. So I want to talk about the second half first. I've got to turn this on to change it. Cool. So verses 13 to 15. And as I was reading this, a song was going through my head. And it's, what can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And it's so true as we sing those words. And this is what Paul is talking about here. So when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. I just want to add, I'm not missing the first couple of verses so I avoid talking about circumcision. We might get to that a bit later. But um, when you were, 
But Paul says here, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with or in Christ. He forgave us all our sins. And as we look at this verse, there's one little word that's used a couple of times there that stands out, stood out for me as I was reading this. And this is the word in. And it's the comparison between being dead in your sin, it's a placement thing, it's you're, you're here, you're, I'm in this place, I'm dead in my sin, and then being alive or in or with Christ. Yeah. And it's that movement that happens from being dead in our sin to alive in Christ. The word in refers to our heritage, what we own, who we are, where we place ourselves, where we find ourselves. Uh, uh, in another letter in the, that Paul wrote to the Romans, he describes that we are born in Adam. Now that's referring to what happened back in the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis. But what does that actually look like? What does it mean to be dead in your sins or born in Adam? Is the word dead a bit extreme there? Like before I met Jesus, I wasn't dead. I was born, I was alive, I... Um, before I said my yes to him at the age of 13, I was still walking on the earth. I wasn't dead. But I asked, could Paul have used less severe language there? Maybe he meant, he could have said, you were apart from Jesus. Or you were separated from him. But he means dead in that language, in, in the words he's using there. To him, the word dead means alienation and separation from God. The condition that people find themselves in before they meet Jesus, before they say they're yes to him. And death is such a, a repugnant kind of... Um, I'm going to use the word smelly, but that even doesn't cover it. It's that condition of not being able to be in God's presence, to be separated from him. And Paul does mean the word dead when he says it there. And he uses this language, like I said, elsewhere in the book of Romans. And I just want to read that to you now. This is Romans 5. It's another book that he, a letter that Paul wrote. And it says, When Adam sinned, the entire world was affected. Sin entered human experience and death was the result. And so death followed this sin, casting its shadow all over humanity, because all have sinned. Sin was in the world before Moses gave the written law, but it was not charged against them when no law existed. Yet death reigned as king from Adam to Moses, even though they hadn't broken a command the way Adam had. The first man, Adam, was a picture of the Messiah who was to come. 
So that paints a pretty bleak picture, I think. This separation that happens between us and God, us and a Father who loves and cares for us and wants us to be with him and connected with him. And we cre- when he created Adam and Eve, his desire was that Adam and Eve would walk with him in the garden that he created for them. But when, when Adam chose to, to step away from that, to, to go out on his own, to say, I, I don't need God, I can, I can eat from this, this fruit and get my own knowledge and my own experience, I don't need God anymore. That tarnished him and the rest of humanity as it's described here. But if we speak about that despair and we'd live pretty hopeless lives, to be honest. But every resurrection that happened needs a cross. It needs a death to start with. It needs a death or a place to be born again from. But then as Paul goes on to explain, rather than being dead in our sins, Jesus forgave all our sins, absolutely everything, and moved us so we are in a place of being alive in Christ. It doesn't just say that he forgave the little sin, the little white lie you told, the little thought you had this morning before you came here. God forgave all our sins, absolutely everything. Everything you've done before, what you did this morning, and everything that's to come in the rest of your life as well. It's all forgiven. God moves you from being dead to sin to alive in Christ. And as he does that, your inheritance changes. Your identity changes. I even wondered if it changes an element of your DNA, kind of. Changes who we are as we live a life alive in him. Not dead in our sin, alive in him. We become beautiful poetry. I read one commentary put it. We become recreated people that have everything that God initially intended and he restored to us. It looks like being filled with the Holy Spirit, being in life, being free to live how he's called us to be, knowing that we completely can trust a father who loves us dearly. But how did that happen? How do we move from being dead in our sin to being alive in Christ? Paul goes on to talk about that in verse 14. having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So indebtedness is like a business term. It's what we owe. It's the wage that we owe for what's happened. So if we're in death at this point, if we're in sin, then death is the wage that we owe for that. Death is the wages of sin. And as people born in Adam in sin, the right and just thing for us to do is to serve that punishment. It's that IOU that we we owe. And George, um, I don't know what that was, sorry. And God, George. George. I've renamed God as George, done. Theological question going on there, but yeah. Where did that come from? Anyway. Is there a George out there? Wow. 
So, God, Father God, who loves us so much, even, and George, he loves George too. <laughs> he is a, he's a judge and has to judge us fairly based on our sins. He couldn't just sweep them under the rug. The penalty had to be paid. So when, I was, when Vic and I were living in Reading, um, we, had, um, we had students living with us. They came and kind of lodged with us for a few months at a time. And one, one day, we were both out at work, and our student, who was working, I think, studying at home that day, he kept calling us and calling us. And um, so I kind of realized I'd had a few missed calls from him. Vic realized I had a few missed calls. So I phoned him. His name was Hermes. He's a, a very passionate, exuberant guy from Sicily. He was like, I'm not doing the accent. But he was like, Chris, Chris, you need to come home. You need to come home. I was like, okay, what, like, well, what's happened? He's like, you're being robbed. You're being robbed. It's like, okay, what's, what's going on? He's like, there are men. There are men. Okay, fine. So I got home and found him in a slightly dishevelled state on the sofa. And it turns out he'd witnessed some men trying to break into our house. They'd grabbed a shovel from a shed and tried to wedge their way in through our door. Um, luckily, they'd seen him through the window as he'd like appeared probably exuberantly in the kitchen <laughs> and then basically legged it. And that's the closest I've ever come to having someone invade my, my home, my private, my private space, to, have, um, to try and break into my house or steal from me. And as the process went on, we reported it to the police. They found prints on the thing and all of that. And the guy was caught because Hermes was able to identify them from a photo fit thing. But how would I have felt if the judgment that was supposed to have come on that guy for, for trying to violate my house to steal from me hadn't been served? Would that have been right? If the judge in the, the court and everything had just said, oh, don't worry about it, it's only a one-off thing, we'll give you away with it. What if the proper judgment hadn't been served for that crime that was committed against Vic and I, against me? I don't think I would have been overwhelmed with that. It wouldn't have been just, it wouldn't have been right. And in the same way, God had to judge the sin, judge what was going on in the right way. And the wages of sin is death. A penalty had to be paid. But how can anyone on earth clear a debt owed to God in heaven? But as Paul says here, the charge of our legal indebtedness was cancelled. Jesus took it away because it was nailed to the cross. So when people were nailed, when they were crucified, their crime was written on a board and nailed next to them to show everyone what they'd done wrong and why they were being punished in that way. That's what Paul's referring to there in saying it's nailed to the cross. And whatever you've done, whatever we've done, those things I referred to before, they were nailed to the cross with Jesus. All of that sin. So I once heard it a bit described 
like this. Imagine someone doing an, all, an, all, an Access All Areas fly-on-the-wall documentary about your life. I mean, they get an all-access pass into every little secret place of your life. Even the time you spend on your own. Even the bedroom, wherever, whatever. And also have access to some of your thoughts and what you've been thinking about them. And then, when you... This is figurative. This is, uh, when you get to heaven, you get to the gate, and someone pulls out this video and puts it in their VCR player, because I think they still have those in heaven. <laughs> and then, as you start getting to these slightly awkward bits, and maybe you're a bit like, oh, I should wish they hadn't have recorded that. And then you start thinking, okay, what can I say to get out of this? What's my defense here? What's my defense for the not pretty stuff? We all have that stuff, don't we? The not pretty stuff? The stuff we're ashamed of, the stuff that we don't... Stuff in secret, the stuff that we don't want people to know. But as those moments come up on the screen, there's a red blood stain swiped across them and a cross on the screen. And those moments just fly past. And the judge, angel, whoever's there at the gate watching your VCR watching the video, goes, it's all good, it's done, sorted, next, move on. And the words of the amazing hymn before the throne of God above come to mind in that moment as you look on him and pardon me. Yeah. You look, he, the judge looks on Jesus and pardons me. Yeah. And that's how we then move from the place of being dead in our sin to being alive in Christ. As he looks on us, he looks on us and pardons, looks on Jesus and pardons us. And then not only that, not only does God forgive all our sins and give us restored relationship with him as a father who loves us so much, he completely destroys and rejects the sin. He takes up that ripped up IOU, that erased video, he waves it in front of all of the the, the, the evil, the sin, the devil who tempted Adam to start with in the garden. He says, you're not touching my children. I've overcome death. I've overcome this. Death is your calling card, your ultimate punishment, and I've beaten it. Death is swallowed up in victory. Christ publicly defeated the devil and his allies in every lie that can be spoken against us. And he waves that in front of them, basically says, stick that on your wall, frame it, and remember who I am. Remember what I've done. Death is beaten because we are alive in Christ. Yeah. It's been um, beautiful to see over the last couple of weeks um, how different people I've known or, or been close to have approached death um, coming up to them. And to hear about Don Temple, who unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, he's been to be with Jesus in the last week, and he was celebrating that, worshipping as, as he went. And he was ready for that. And then my, my 94-year-old grandmother, who passed away a couple of weeks ago, and I was at her funeral last Tuesday. And do you know what? It was sad. Of course it was. But she lived an amazing life, and I know that she knew Jesus. And she's now in heaven with him, having a whale of a time, probably trying to feed him an overcooked roast with peas and carrots that have been boiled for four hours. <laughs> But the day before she died, she wrote a letter to each of her three children. So my mum, my aunt and my uncle. And she left it on the, 
in the dresser just in her, in her cottage. And she knew it was her time. She knew it was coming and she was prepared for it. And she lived a, fa- she lived a great life. And her funeral wasn't one of mourning and sadness for long. It was one of celebration because death is defeated. And there's another way. So as we celebrate the freedom that comes with knowing who we are and that death is defeated and we're alive in Christ, we can go back to verses 11 and 12 where there's that word again. So this is before Paul has said any of this other stuff. It says, in him, so in Jesus as we're alive in Christ, you were, you were also circumcised with a circumcision, we'll get to that in a minute, not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So because we are alive in Christ, we have the opportunity, as I've said, to be closer to God, to be in his presence, to come to see him as a father, to relate to him, to experience him, to know him more. In the Old Testament, circumcision was a God-given sign of divine blessing. It identified that the covenant, the agreement, and that the people who belonged to God had that physical symbol of circumcision. It was a physical symbol of how God effectively transformed a sinful heart. For the Jewish people, that's how they they showed who they were and identified who they were, who they were in. Now that symbol of transformation became a reality through Christ that meant that you didn't need to get circumcised. Amen. Woo! <laughs> the sinful nature that we have is displaced, is changed by the, the cha- life-changing presence of Jesus Christ. And so instead we talk about being baptised. We talk about putting to death everything that we we were before underwater and then raising again in new life. Raising out of the water, completely drenched, saturated, moving from this point of being dead as we go under to coming out and being alive in Jesus and alive in who he is. That's what baptism is. And we can do it in a number of ways, in a number of places. But it's about that rebirth, it's about that resurrection that needed a death to start with to then be reborn. If you haven't been baptised, if you haven't had that opportunity to publicly commit and say, yes, I want to follow Jesus, and take that opportunity to, to, to be baptised, to be raised again out of the water, then we would definitely love to invite you to, to come and join in in that and have that opportunity to do that. We're going to be down at the beach on the 25th of July. And we would love for you, if you haven't been baptised, to come and to... I'd love for you to speak to me. You can email me, christhatton at ashravineyard.org. Come and find me afterwards if you're in the room. Give me a call, whatever. I'd love to chat with you. And I'd love to invite you to come and join us at the beach on the 25th. And we would love to baptise you to celebrate your new birth with you. So Paul mentions baptism and circumcision here as the people in the church in Colossae were... They weren't, they, the, so, most of them weren't Jewish, so hadn't gone through circumcision to start with. And so they've just come in and been baptised, and there were some 
thinking, some teaching going on that said, oh, you haven't been circumcised, therefore your faith isn't valid. But he's reminding them in this moment that in being cut away from their old life, they're moving into their new life. I wonder how often we rely on the physical actions, the physical rituals that we go through in our life to define our relationship with Jesus, to define our identity as alive in Christ. Does our baptism define our life with him? Does the fact we turn up on a Sunday or watch on a Sunday or go to a circle or give the homeless guy down the road our lunch, does that define our life as being in Christ? Does the kind ear to the mum on the school run define our life with him? Does listening to the, the person who's pouring their life out to you define our life in him. When we move from death in our sin to being alive in Christ, what does that actually look like for us? I don't think it's about the physical rituals. It's not about then, oh, I must attend church on a Sunday. I must read my Bible every day. I must do this. I must do that. I must be kind to people. That's not what defines our relationship with Jesus. In everything that Jesus did for us on the cross and defeating sin, he displaces us. He changes the position we find ourselves in. And our identity and our relationship with Father God is what that looks like in being alive with him. Those things I've spoken about are all fantastic. But the heart of who we are is that we are sons and daughters of a Father who loves us. And that is what it means to be alive in Christ and not dead to sin anymore. And we choose to live off the back of the knowledge of that statement I read at the beginning. There is nothing for you to prove, as Jesus has done it all. Everything is forgiven. You don't need to carry your sins. Death shouldn't cause you to fear. There is no way for you to earn more of his love or earn greater access. Everything he has done allows you to have everything you need. You can't earn any more. You have no case to answer and nothing to prove to anyone else. You can live in freedom. So as you go away into the rest of your week, I would love to, for you to spend some time just saying, what does it look like for you to live a life alive in Christ? You are free from what's gone before, from, from the addiction, from the despair, from the the disdain from the anger, from the sorrow. And I'm not saying life over here is all roses because we go through difficult stuff. But what does it look like for you to react and to live like you're alive in Christ and you've carried over, your debt's been paid, the, the video has been wiped out and you have relationship with your father again? Could you stand please? Father, I thank you for the, the chains that you have broken in this place this morning already. I thank you that freedom does reign in this place. Because as people who said yes to you, we're alive in you. We have freedom in you. We have life eternal. We have everything we need in you. We have no case to answer to anyone. We can come to you. 
the sons and daughters free. Would you just keep revealing yourself to us? Reveal yourself as a father to us over and over again. Let us not go back into, into despair or, or troubled thoughts, like that voice in your head that just nags. But let's live with a voice in our head that brings life, that speaks life over ourselves and over other people. You call us into life and help us day by day to walk in that life. Thank you that you weave everything together. You have a perfect and beautiful plan for our lives and we are your, your perfect portrait, Father. We, you see us as a beautiful picture, as a beautiful creation. Thank you that we can be called your sons and daughters. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.